0: I want you to look on this verse. This is a verse, if you put that verse on the screen. This is the verse the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart this week. And by the way, uh, Wednesday, we'll have an all-church fellowship here. Please, everyone, come on, bring some food. Amen? Bring some fellowship. We'll be here, and it's going to be an all no, We won't have our, our, our teaching online. It'll be here. And so please remember, join us. We need some good fellowship. And then we have another one on the 27th. I tell you, we're going to get our fellowship back, right? Take that, coronavirus. Come on, amen. But um, here's a verse that is very important to me. Very important. Every verse is special, but there's verses that the Holy Spirit makes alive to us. And God used this verse to confirm my call to the ministry. God used this verse to do some wonderful things in my life. And I'm going to read this one verse. I'm going to take a little more time in introduction this morning, but I want you to please be patient with me. Acts 2.39. For the promise is to you, there's my title, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The context of this is the Holy Spirit has been poured out as was spoken. As Jesus spoke, the Spirit of God was poured out in a, in an unprecedented way that started really the age of the Holy Spirit, the age of grace, the Church age, and we've been in that age for almost two thousand years. That that period of time, and Peter, when the Spirit of God fell, you know, he had stumbled before, he had made mistakes before. He was restored by Jesus on the sea on the shores of Galilee, and he was the one chosen to get up and speak. And he spoke by the anointing of the Spirit of God, and he spoke that sermon. On Pentecost was all about Jesus and His plan to redeem. And then Peter comes to the end of the sermon, and and this is a verse that he spoke by the Spirit: "The promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Listen to me today, everyone. The promise is to you. It's to you." You may have received the Holy Spirit as we believe with the evidence of tongues. I want to tell you there's more for you today. You may be here today and you don't quite believe like this. Well, I can't agree with you on that because we'd both be wrong. You get that? I'll let that sink in. If I agreed with you on that, then we'd both be wrong because the Word of God is true. If you've never had this glorious experience, it's for you. Come on. It's for you. I want you to lean to your neighbor. I don't do this a lot. But I want you to lean to your neighbor and say, it's for you this morning. It's for you. Now, I want you to think with me. And I ask God to just anoint this time. Anoint this time. Anoint this time that I speak to you. Do you remember? I do. But do you remember the first movements of the Holy Spirit in your life? I'm going to tell you about the first movements of the Holy Spirit. The first movement of the Holy Spirit is the beginning of life. You hear that? It's the beginning of restoration. It's the beginning of salvation. It's the beginning of wholeness. In Genesis 1, we get the beginning of the movement of the Holy Spirit. You don't get two verses in and the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And over that chaotic earth, the earth goes out, forming void, darkness over the face of the deep. And then it says the Holy Spirit. The, it says... The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What was that? The Spirit is hovering over the chaotic earth. And what, however you believe, that this original or rec- whatever you believe about that, we can all agree on this. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the chaos to do what? To bring order. The initial movements of the Holy Spirit is the initial movements To bring order into our lives. And the first movements of the Holy Spirit in a human being is God bringing order to the sinful, chaotic life. That's what he does. Jesus said it this way. When he has come, when he comes, his initial movements are going to be he will convict the word of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. Why does he do that? He does that to bring people out of the darkness in, into the wonderful light of our Lord. Hallelujah. Now listen. The seal of the Holy Spirit, you've heard this. The seal of the Holy Spirit or the mark of the Christian is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now listen closely. I'm going to take a few minutes here, to, so please, please track with me here. The seal or the mark of the Holy Spirit is really the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. And from the beginning to end of what the Lord wants to do in our lives, it is by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Ephesians. This will be on the screen. Ephesians 1, 13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, this is the NASB 95 because I like it better than the translation I normally use. It says, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now look at this. Who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view of redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Meaning the initial working of the Holy Spirit is to seal us, to save us in a sense, if you will, and I'll talk about that, but to bring us to future glory, resurrection in his presence, to bring us to final salvation. Ephesians 4.30 says this about the seal. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby you are what? You are sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. Sealed by the Spirit of God unto the day of redemption. I want want to read a study note to you. Because every commentary I read, I I have thousands of commentaries, literally. And I'm going to tell you, almost every single one I read... I feel like are, in, are, are, are not quite right on what the Scripture teaches here. And that's a big statement. That's not a prideful statement. But I am a Spirit-filled, Pentecostal person, and I seek to interpret Scripture right. Here's, here's a study note, here's, and I quote. Paul uses two metaphors for the bestowal of the Holy Spirit on the believer. First, he said, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Two uses of, of the seal were used in the first century to describe this work of the Holy Spirit in in the sealing. As a seal was placed on a document, it would attest to its genuineness. So the Holy Spirit marks us as children of God. This is where our assurance is. Romans 8 9 said, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. And then, by indicating ownership, the seal also provides protection, like they sealed the tomb of Jesus Okay. Now listen, I, I, I quote, some have interpreted this metaphor of the sealing to guarantee unconditional eternal security. You're sealed on the day of redemption. That's unconditional eternal security, they say. He says, and I quote, this is a mistake for two reasons. First, it, will always, it is always a mistake to extend a metaphor or a figure of speech beyond its proper use. And this gentleman quotes, Ashley Ophela is his name. He's a has a commentary. Here's what he says. Listen. He said, my professor at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary said when you stretched a metaphor, it was like making a metaphor run on all fours. You take it and you stretch it beyond its meaning. Paul, in dealing, Paul is dealing with human beings capable of choice. Chapters 4, four through 6. Of uh, Ephesians, rather than a material object such as that is protected by a seal of the first century. Secondly, a seal is not unbreakable. It wasn't unbreakable then. It was, but there was a warning: if you did break it, there would be consequences. So, secondly, the Holy Spirit is also called the deposit for our inheritance. The King James uses the word earnest as a term we use today, earnest money. Now, if you're going to buy something, say, so I want to buy that. It's this much. I don't have it all. What I'm going to do is put this much down. I'll come back and pay the rest later. And, and what we have now in the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a deposit that the Holy Spirit is leading us to final redemption. And he says this and I, in this, the redemption of the possession refers to the completed salvation of Jesus coming, the redemption of our body. So I read that to tell you this, that the initial sealing of the Holy Spirit in salvation is only the first movements of the Holy Spirit. He said, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But why does it say later on, don't grieve the Holy Spirit unto the, that, that leads you to the day of redemption? And then why does it say in the fifth chapter, be being filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Here's what I believe. I believe the experience of the disciples in John chapter 20 is the first instance of the born-again experience in the New Testament or New Covenant. Let me read that to you. Here's Jesus, and he has appeared to them on the night of his resurrection. He is resurrected, and now this band of the disciples are together, and here's what it says, and I believe this is the very first New Testament conversion like we have today, going from Old Covenant to New Covenant. I want you to listen to this. And I have one more little reading I want to do, and I'll, I did not start preaching yet. This is all free. Are you with me? Come on. Okay. Listen to this great verse. It says, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So what is this? Some have said it was just a prophetic act. Oh, no. No, it was not, and I'll show you. I'm going to read another note. Stay with me. Now, quote, When Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to his disciples the day he rose from the dead, he was not baptizing them in the Spirit as what happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 5 and 2, verse 4. Rather, this is the first time the disciples actually received the spiritually renewing presence of the Holy Spirit. It was the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans eight eleven. It is reasonable to conclude that John 20, refers to regeneration. Everyone say regeneration. That, that means spiritual birth. That means born again, renewed by the Spirit of God. Because why do we believe that this is regeneration for them? in the first new covenant sense, because listen to this. Jesus said, it says this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them. Does this kind of bring something to your mind, biblically? He breathed on them. The the word for breathe is the same word used, the same verb used in Genesis Genesis 2-7. You remember, here's what it says, and I quote, he breathed into his nostrils... The very breath of life. And the man became a living being. Who was that? That was Adam. He breathed. It's the same verb. Same type verb in the Septuagint. It's the same verb in Ezekiel 37.9. He breathed into the slain that they may live. Think about this. John uses the verb related to the life-giving process. It suggests that Jesus was giving the Holy Spirit to give them life. Just like Adam, he, breathed, he became a living being. He became a living soul. Realize when we are saved, the saving presence of Jesus come into us and we're saved. We're born again. Hallelujah. Just as God breathed the breath of life into the first man's physical body, the man became a living being, Genesis 2, 7, and new creation. So Jesus breathed into his disciples and they became new creations in the spiritual sense. The phrase, listen, the phrase receive the Holy Spirit indicates or shows that the Spirit at, at that, listen, at that, histo- when Jesus said he breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the language in the scripture says at that historical moment that entered the disciples' And they began to live at that moment. It's an or- aorist imperative implying a single act of immediate action that took place. In other words, it wasn't just a prophetic act when he breathed on them. Something really happened to them. What happened? They were born again. First time, New Testament sense. They were saved. They were new creations. Wh- whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But was that the end for them? The language of Scripture is something happened in their lives. They were saved. But then Jesus said this. In just a little while, something else is going to happen in your life. So what was this? Now listen its what I've said from the beginning of this message. The beginning of the work of the Holy Spirit and the disciples in the New Testament sense was that receive the Holy Spirit. But there was more for them and there's more for us. There's more of his presence for us. Do you believe that? uh, uh, Have we exhausted his presence? Have we exhausted all the riches of God's glory and mercies and majesty and miracles? No, let's don't kid ourselves. Now I want to show you something. If you'd help me here. I want to show you something. I want to give you a visual. We need two handsome young men to help us with this. Don't stand here too long. You'll make me look bad, guys. Okay? All right, just bring this right here. He said to the lady at the well, remember they said that it would, it would fill you. The rivers, that, that fountain would bubble up in you. Salvation is to me like this. When we're saved, and I'll probably spill this everywhere, but that's all right. When we're saved, we say, Jesus, come in. Here's what happens. We're filled up with his saving life, right? Just like that. We're filled. That's full. So we're filled up. Can y'all see that? We're filled with his water. He said to the lady, you drink this, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink the water I give, you're never going to thirst again. It'll be a well springing up in you to everlasting life. And so when we're saved, the Spirit of God, Romans 8, 9, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're none of his. So what happens then? He told the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit right there. They did receive the Holy Spirit. They received the saving ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit Every person that saves has the indwelling spirit. There's no doubt about that. But then Jesus said something else. He said, I want you to, something's going to happen just a little while. And he said, uh, not only are you saved, but you're going to be filled to overflowing. And in, in baptism in the Holy Spirit, the, the, the thing that I'm talking about here, and I hope you have enough water, because if not, we're going to have to go. and You get more of Jesus. And more of his presence till, till you're just not filled that way, but you're literally immersed. Yes. You're immersed in the Spirit. Yes. He, he fills you. Should I keep going, JR? Is it going to overflow? Yes. Come on. Does everybody say more. 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 Come on. <laughs> Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. But when we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, something overflows. Spiritual language overflows. Luke talks about it in his companion book in the book of Acts. And what happens is the overflow comes and you're immersed in the Spirit of the Lord. You're full. You're overflowing. And when you're overflowing, it flows out of you. It's that rivers of living water. Amen? Amen. Rivers of living water. Now, let's look at this verse. I'm going to give you some thoughts on this verse. All that was introduction. I told you I'd be a little long there. Maybe a little laborious, but listen to this. Let's, let's, let's look at the character of this verse, Acts 2.39. The promises to you and your children, to all our are far off, to as many as the Lord our God will call. He's talking about this promise of salvation and spirit baptism. The promises to you. What kind, of, what kind of verses? What kind of character is this? First of all, it's a promise that's a prophetic promise. Jot that down. It's a prophetic promise. In other words, it was a promise predicted to our day. It was a promise predicted in advance. Joel said, it shall come to pass in the last days, I will part my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, etc." He says, there's coming a day in the last days. And you say, well, pastor, when did the last day begin? The last day began from, from Jesus' first coming to Jesus' second coming. That is, the la- We are in this day of Holy Spirit that Joel prophesied. Isaiah prophesied about it. He said, I will pour water on him who's thirsty. And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. <clears throat> and I want you to know we're in that. And as I've said, we put our daughter's names down next to that. Jesus prophesied about this sin. This is a prophetic promise. Jesus said, I want you to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be clothed with power on high. That was 10 days later. So Jesus said in 10 days something dynamics is going to happen. How did he know that? He was a prophet. As well as the Son of God. He said in 10 days, you're going to meet the Holy Spirit like you've never met him before. He's with you. Remember this, John? He's with you, but he shall be in you. There's coming a deeper work of the Spirit of God. This is a prophetic promise. And then he told him again, in not many days, Acts 1-5. Not many days from now. So this is a prophetic promise. Jesus, once again, Mark 16-17. These signs... These miracles will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. Jesus prophesied. So when someone receives the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you are fulfilling the prophetic word of God. You are fulfilling what Jesus prophesied and the prophets prophesied would happen. It's a prophetic promise and we receive it. Secondly, in honor of a prophetic promise, it's a personal promise. It is to you it is to you personally. It is to the church, yes, but it is to you personally. I believe that every believer can experience the Holy Spirit in this way the scripture teaches, teaches us. I was led, and my mom could, could verify everything that I say, I was led into the Holy Spirit in a glorious way, and I began to get hungry, and I began to fast, and I began to read the scripture, and I had this little lady that, that taught me about what this was. And then on a Sunday night at a church, I knelt down and I came up different than I went down. I went down not so full and I came up really full, praying in other tongues. And it's been, that's been a lot of years ago, a lot of decades ago. What is the Holy Spirit? When we say that it's a, it's a personal promise, I, I would say it this way. The Holy Spirit is every Christian's birthright. It's a birthright. It's part of our spiritual inheritance. In Galatians, he says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, that's us, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. Have you opened your birthright? Some of us live in the shallows. Let's go ahead and get in the deeps this morning. Amen? Every Christian today, you need to claim your birthright. I would also sit this way. Not only is the Holy Spirit... His person, our responsibility. It's our, it's our birthright, but it's our responsibility. We're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not the great option. It's not like all these churches around here, well, we'll let the, we'll let the Pentecostal folks down there on 1535 North Down Road, we'll let them do all that. That's not ours. No, no it's, it's our responsibility to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, to create a place in our hearts and in our church where the Holy Spirit is manifest. It's a command. Wait until you be filled. John uh, Paul said be being filled be being filled it's a command form don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit it's our responsibility to wait on God for this promise it's our responsibility what if the 120 the disciples with all the 120 what if they did not take it seriously what if Jesus said tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power on high- well you know I've got to go plow my field well I've got to go it'd be a very different story if they didn't take the words of Jesus very seriously and they waited on him and they prayed and they sought the Lord and then God did a, a miraculous thing. I can tell you this, it's going to cost, it costs them. It costs them and it will always cost us. God's best will cost us. Revival will cost us. If, if we want revival, it's going to cost us. It's a, it's a pretty heavy price on the flesh, but it's worth it. It costs the disciples time. It costs them priority. It costs them sacrifice. The Holy Spirit's our birthright. The Holy Spirit's our responsibility. The Holy Spirit is also our need. He's our greatest need. He's our comforter. Come on. He's our prayer helper. He's our guide. He's our sanctifier. He's our encourager. It said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, whatever he hears he speak, and he will tell you things to come. We need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit in in pastoring this church. We need the Holy Spirit in building this work. We need the Holy Spirit in raising our kids and our grandkids. We need the Holy Spirit in our witness. We need the presence of God. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We need him in this church. I'm fighting for his presence here, and I know you are too. It's our need. The Holy Spirit's also our privilege. What greater privilege could we have today? I mean, who could you meet today? Wh- who could you meet today that you think would like be an honor? That would just like, oh, I would like to meet this great person. They're nothing in the sight of God. They're like a grain of sand in the sight of God's majesty and greatness. The heaven is his stone, earth is his footstool. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. What a mighty God. There's the, the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They bless in his presence and just think what a privilege it is that we can experience and be sharers in the life of the Holy Spirit. You are the temples of the Holy Spirit. What a privilege today to experience God's power in God's life. We are tasting our inheritance. We're tasting a heaven. We're getting a little taste of heaven, the powers of the world to come. And my prayer for this church is we'd be a dwelling place of God in the spirit, that God's spirit would be so glorious and so dynamic that every person that ever walks in this church would be hit in the face with heaven, that heaven is among us because we have prayed and welcomed him down among us. It's a privilege. Not only is this promise a prophetic promise, and and, and it's Personal to you now, but it's also a powerful promise. What do I mean? We talk about the power of God. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about God's supernatural power being released. The church was never meant to be this natural kind of place that we figure it all out on our own. The church is to be a supernatural entity where the life of God is manifest, the kingdom of God is manifested in initial stages. I know it'll come in its physical stage later when Christ comes, but right now the church is to be this supernatural place where God is, where healing is taking place, where people are saved, where demons are cast out, where the sick are healed, where bondages are broken. Where miracles of healing take place. Why? Because God's power is not a natural power. It's a supernatural power. And, and literally what it means, dunamis is the word. You shall receive power. And the word is dunamis. And it means power and action. It's, it, Luke, Luke translated, translates and interprets it as power to drive out demons. You know what I was doing today? And you may think this is weird. I don't. I believe you have power. And authority in the name of Jesus. I believe that authority is regulated by what the word says and not what I say. We we walk in the parameters of the kingdom of God. We're not out doing a bunch of weird stuff on our own, making it up. We're we're looking to the word of God. Well, he said, you'll cast out devils. We have authority over demon spirits. And and I can tell you, the devil comes to church. He came to church when Jesus preached. Because Jesus said, when I scatter the seed, the enemy steals the seed. So this morning, I was in prayer, praying in the Spirit, and then I'd say, Devil, I forbid you to hinder God's people today. You're going to clear out, devil, and I pray the Spirit of God. There'd be such freedom, and I said, Devil, I forbid you to work among this people today. You're not going to hinder the Word of God. You're not going to hinder our worship today. Why? Because there's a, there's a battle going on in the Spirit. We win our battle in prayer. We win our battle in the Spirit. This dunamis power. Luke sees it as power to heal the sick. I pray that this... I pray that every sick person is healed in this church. You believe Jesus is our healer today. How is he going to heal us? By the power of God. This promise is not only prophetic and personal, but it's a powerful promise. Powerful promise. Look at how it came in power when that day of Pentecost had come, had fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire. It sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Now, this is not the first time this thing had happened. Je- the Spirit of God came on Jesus, and it says that he began to rejoice. This is like almost a spirit baptism that Jesus had in Luke. Trace it out in Luke. Uh, Elizabeth breaks out in prophetic praise. Mary breaks out in the magnificent. magnificent. Zechariah breaks out when the Spirit of God comes on him with prophetic speech. And here it's the same thing. It's not new here, but it's, just, it's unique in a sense with tongues. But notice how powerful the Lord came down here. I mean, think about this. If you started physically hearing wind with your ears, you'd be like, what in the world's that? And all of a sudden you look and there's fire, real fire starts, you know, you see fire and it's spiritual and it starts lighting and you're just like, whoa, do you think you would just be like, oh, you would go, God is in this place. Something unique is happening here. Why? The Holy Spirit is supernatural and he gives supernatural gift, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, faith, discerning of spirits. Gifts of healings, these are spiritual gifts of God's power released to bring healing to the broken, to bring ministry to people that need supernatural ministry. Oh, how we need the gifts. Come on. Come on. Let's get the gifts. We can get them. How it says, covet the gifts. You can get them. I mean, listen, if I, if I need gas in my car, I don't, I don't go to, you know, I almost said Woolworth. I was kind of dating myself there. <laughs> Most of, some of you say, Woolworth? What is Woolworth. Listen, there were people on the earth when Woolworth was here, I promise you. If, but if I needed gas, I wouldn't call Amazon. I would go to the gas station. I know where to get gas. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you today, if we need the, the presence of God and the grace of God, we know where to get it, don't we? We know where to get it. It's also quickly, it's a participatory promise. You say, well, you know, some people, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm here. Whatever you want to do, I'm I'm just here. Whatever you want to do, I'm I'm here. Whatever he wants to do, I'm fighting this thing this morning, this little machine. Okay. What I did, and I didn't turn off my screensaver, and every once in a while the screensaver comes on. I don't want to turn it off now because I'm preaching. You know how it is. I'm working here. But uh, I'm going to speak to some of you here. This, it's a participatory promise. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He will not force his way into your life. He's a gentleman. You can't just be this kind of passive, you know, yeah, wh- whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm in for it. You know you're, you're, you know, you're eating it, you know, drinking Starbucks, you know, at your store. Yeah, whatever, I'm here, I'm here. Listen, the, here's what Jesus said in John. On, that, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come. Let him come. He believes in me as the scripture had said, out of his belly, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And he spoke of the spirit. That We must participate in the promise. We must seek him. We must worship him. We must open our mouth. If we're going to get another language... we're going to speak in another language, you you can't do it with a closed mouth. You can't do it with folded arms. You have to participate. And I can tell you this. When he fills you and you overflow and you begin to manifest tongues, I can tell you this. When you speak, that is an act of faith. He will give you the utterance, but he won't speak it for you because he's a gentleman. I want you to listen. He wants to fill our mouths with heavenly language, but you and I must cooperate with him. Now listen to this. This story made so much sense to me. I prayed with many, many people to receive the Spirit of the Lord, and many, many have, hundreds have, I guess. But I've I've met people that struggle with this. Our former, former general superintendent, Doctor George Wood, just a brilliant man. He has a a, he has a, a law degree and a Ph.D. in theology. He's a brilliant guy. Then there's the rest of us. You know what I'm saying? But but he grew up in old time. He grew up in China. His mom and dad were missionaries. Assembly God missionaries to China. And he was uh, very quiet, very unemotional, very subdued type person. But in that day, in that day, Pentecost was highly emotional. You know, we're pretty emotional. But in that day, everyone that received the Spirit, you know, they would scream and fall on the floor, and and it was just. And so, in his little mind. When they prayed for him to receive the Holy Spirit, he said, you know, like, I don't don't feel like falling on the floor. I don't want to scream and run around. And this was a tremendous hindrance to him to receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This went on for years. He loved the Lord. He was saved. And then one day, at home, he was praying all by himself. And all of a sudden, he starts speaking in other tongues. And here's what he said in his testimony. He said, I realized something. I had heard those words in my spirit for years. For years, I had heard those words, and I just never spoke them out. Can I tell you this? And that was the head of the Assemblies of God in America for years. And now he's the head of Evangel, interim head of Evangel Bible College, our, our college, Evangel College. Here's what I'm going to tell you. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We have to allow Him, we have to yield to Him, is what I'll say. We've got to participate. I'm almost done. Also, it's a promise that has passion connected to it. What, what do you mean? Spiritual hunger is a prerequisite. Are you hungry for the Lord? Are we hungry? Hunger hunger is a vital aspect to receiving from the Lord. I I believe that churches don't receive more because they're hungry to receive more. They don't want more. Too, too, too inconvenient. I believe that many believers today do not have more of the Spirit of God and more of what God wants to do. They're just simply not hungry enough to pay the price for it. I can tell you this. Passivity in spiritual matters. Will keep you back from what God wants you to do in your life. Don't be passive, press. The little lady, the little Canaanite lady, didn't say, Well, you know, if you really want to do it, she she, she, says, This lady is crying after us, send her away. And and Jesus said, You know, don't give the bread to the dogs. She said, But she wasn't going to be denied. Remember? She, She wasn't passive. Yes, but even the little dogs get the crumbs. We have to press in. If you'll press in, God will meet your faith. He'll meet you. He'll meet you at the point of your desperation to receive from the Lord. If anyone thirsts, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink of these waters. And you know what thirst is? It just is a state resulting in not having drank anything for some time. Some of you hadn't drank in a while of the Spirit of God. You need to drink this morning. How about let's drink this morning? How about let's get full this morning to overflowing with the Lord? And our musicians are coming, please. Also, this is a promise connected with prayer. It's connected with prayer. You realize that prayer ushers in the presence of God. Churches that pray will have a dynamic sense of the presence of God, there will be an otherworldliness in the atmosphere of their services. And what, what is that? That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus received the presence of God in his anointing, the Bible says in Luke, Luke includes this, while Jesus was praying, the heaven was opened. When, when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts, they were praying. They had been praying 10 days. Ver, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. They continued in one accord in prayer. Acts 2, verse 1 says they were with one accord. What do you think they were doing in one accord? They weren't having a potluck. They were praying. They were waiting on God. They were seeking the Lord. Prayer. Prayer is how the Spirit comes among us. Luke, Luke writes this. Now, look at this. Luke writes this. 70 A.D., what I'm about to read. He records that Jesus said this, but he wrote it in 70 AD, about. So in other words, what I'm going to read to you, 30 years after Jesus went back to heaven, 34 years, depending on when he wrote it, Luke is still reminding them of this. I say to you, it it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and him who seeks finds. To him who knocks will be open. If the son asks bread of a father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? 30 years later, he's saying, to the church in that day he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it I'll close with this let's stand, all standing Reese would you you move this a couple of you guys move this it is a promise of his presence The, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon us Listen to this. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You hear that? When he's come upon you. What does that mean? To come upon means upon a location on the surface of an object. Meaning this. You can physically sense on your body, not just in your spirit, but on your body, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the Holy Spirit can come upon a person? Come on, look at me. Can come upon a person, can come upon a group of persons. You realize the Holy Spirit can be in a place when He comes. Have you received the baptism? Maybe you need to be refreshed today. Maybe you have received, but you need refreshing. Maybe you've never received the Holy Spirit. Just like I poured that water in that first little glass. Why don't you let him just pour more water in? Are you ready? I'm I'm asking for God's spirit to be poured out on us. I'm asking, you need it. We all desperately need it. This church needs to experience God's presence.